What is up, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you to the 94th episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Had a one-week break last week because I celebrated the Valentine's Day holiday with a special lady in my life, of course, my daughter. So I allowed everyone to kind of have some, some time to appreciate the special people in your lives and, of course, the all-star break. But the beat goes on, and there are so many topics to discuss this week, so much so that there will not be a guest. I'm going to give you the complete run of the show with my thoughts, my feelings on all the biggest topics in the world of sports and entertainment, including much has been made of the 10-year run of Aubrey, Drake, the lyricist, the rapper, the entertainer, however you want, so much so that the So Far Gone mixtape was re-released last weekend, but I'm going to focus on another run that I don't think will ever be duplicated again. All that plus everyone in the DMV, in the DC metropolitan area, has fixated, has dreamt of Ernie Grunfeld losing his job, but I have moved on. I am no longer going to hashtag plead for Ernie Grunfeld to be fired, the hashtag fire Ernie. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm completely off that. There was now a new public enemy number one in terms of why the Washington Wizards cannot achieve the success that the fan base deserves. I will tell you who that person is in quarter number four. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. It took them years, but they finally did it. And the they I'm referring to in this quarter are the New Orleans Pelicans. And what they finally did was let go of general manager Dale Demps. For the last week and a half before the All-Star break, there was so much discussion about, oh, my gosh, the NBA shouldn't shouldn't force the New Orleans Pelicans to, to play Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis should not be playing for the rest of the season. The Pelicans are victims here. Anthony Davis and Rich Paul and LeBron James by proxy tried to force his way to Los Angeles and it backfired. And now Gail Benson and the small market New Orleans Pelicans should stick it to the 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 superstar players for trying to force their way. They should stick up for all small markets and yada, 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 yada. And damn it, if I didn't have a shut up segment just a few weeks ago, This would be number one with the bullet because, man, I'm so sick of people sympathizing, empathizing, and making excuses for the New Orleans Pelicans. Aren't you guys? Aren't you all? We talked about this before the break, man. They had Chris Paul. And immediately following his departure, they got Anthony Davis. If we were to break down the greatest players of this era, those are two of the best 10, maybe 15. And Anthony Davis is like, what, 25? So his stock is only going to rise. I don't feel sorry for them. And I definitely don't feel sorry for Dale Dimps, who just recently lost his job. And I don't wish unemployment for anyone. Dale Dimps is going to be okay, but you know, this is a tough situation. But Slim, he should have been lost his job. I've in the past talked about some of the many, many 
bad, poor, awful decisions that he has made as a leader of that franchise, of the basketball operations, the moves that he has made. But I can't then just put it all on him, and we're going to get into this a little bit more in our fourth quarter. But I can't just blame Dale Dimps because his incompetence has been clear. There's only so much, there's only so long you can say, hey, this guy doesn't deserve his job. At some point, whomever makes that decision has to bear the blame. I'm not mad at Dale Dimps for continuing to be the general managers of the Pelicans, despite the fact that he makes error after error, bad decision after bad decision. At some point, I'm not mad at him. He's incompetent, but his incompetence comes only second to the person who continues to employ him. And what I am sick of is blaming the players. We blame the players for everything, everything. It used to be, if you don't win a championship, oh, then you're not great enough. So players decided, hey, I've got to start playing with great teammates because if, I, if I'm one of the many teams who have awful basketball operations or front offices, they're not going to give me much talent. So then they start playing with other great players. And then it becomes, oh, the players all want to go to big markets, even though my... Miami is not really that big, big of a market. And New York, the New York franchises have struggled. And the L.A. franchises for almost a decade now have struggled. And the D.C. franchise has struggled. And much of the decade, the Philadelphia franchise has struggled. And yada, yada, yada. But, again, don't let facts get in the way of a good story, right? So we blame the players for going to big markets, even though they weren't. And then... Players decided, you know what? I'm not going to take the max amount of money to play. I'm going to go where I want to play, where I will enjoy playing, and where I have a chance to win. And then we start blaming players for that. Oh, he took the easy way out. We blame players for everything. In the NBA, and now, despite the fact that the Pelicans are an awful franchise. Despite the fact that the organization decided to keep an awful general manager, we're blaming Anthony Davis, not because he he told the Pelicans that he's not going to resign. You don't, I mean, anyone with common sense understands that that's actually in the best interest of the Pelicans. We're now blaming Anthony Davis for wanting to play basketball. This is how the circle has gone. We blame them for wanting to leave. We're, no, I'm sorry. We first blame them for not winning championships. Then we blame them for going to big markets, even though they didn't. Then we blame them for taking less money to leave. And now we're. And then we blame them for joining forces, taking the quote-unquote easy way out. And now we're blaming players for actually wanting to play. How does that make sense? Somebody please make that make sense to me. At some point, we need to sit down and have a real honest conversation about how poorly run the majority of the NBA franchises are run. The New Orleans Pelicans kept Dale Dimps up until past the trade deadline. Think about how, like, how foolish is that? 
They kept a bad general manager up until the trade deadline where their most highly possessed asset in others. It's not just Anthony Davis. It's Julius Randle. It's Drew Holiday. They had all this talent that doesn't work together because, you know what? I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. Look at the New Orleans Pelicans. Look at their roster this season. At full strength, they had Alfred Payton, Drew Holiday, but Etwan Moore, I believe, was the starting three, Anthony Davis, and Nikola Mirotic. That was their starting five with Julius Randle coming off the bench. And after that, that's six good players. After that, they had not just below average players, but we're talking about really, really bad NBA players. The problem is their best five players couldn't play. Julius Randle is one of their best five players, but you can't end the game with Randle, Meritage, and Anthony Davis on the floor at the same time. Putting you at a, at a significant disadvantage. And Alfred Payton gets hurt. The moment he gets hurt, it's not that Alfred Payton is this great player. It's that he's so much better than their backup point guard, Tim Frazier. Wizards fans know this firsthand. So when he goes down for 10 games, that shouldn't move the needle that much. But because it does, Tim Frazier has to play more minutes, even though he's not good. And whomever Tim Frazier's backup is, is now playing rotational minutes, even though he probably shouldn't be in the NBA. That right there is poor roster construction, despite the fact that you have five really good NBA players, six good NBA players. You can't win that way. You can't win that way. Dell Dips has shown us time and time again he is not good at making basketball decisions. Maybe he gets better, right? We all have made mistakes at our jobs, all of us, multiple. But most of us do not have a top five commodity, a top five resource that would actually make our jobs easier. Anthony Davis is that. Make no mistake, and you will see. Whatever team he goes to play next, he will have a lot of success. I guarantee it because that's how it always happens. Before LeBron won championships in Miami, people were talking about how he's underperformed and he wasn't this and he wasn't that. And we have all heard this time and time again. And that wasn't the problem. LeBron was not the problem in Cleveland version one. The problem was that organization was trash. And here's the thing. We all knew Dell Demps was like the, the fact that the Pelicans somehow were surprised that Anthony Davis was not happy. I don't know how that came as a shock to them. Anybody who pays attention to basketball knew how important this year was for the Pelicans. Everyone. And they surrounded him with five good players who could not play on the floor with him. Just five. In the Western Conference, mind you. And somehow they're shocked. They were caught off guard. And now there's some reports that suggest Dell Dips lost his job because he didn't trade Anthony Davis at the deadline. I've been saying this for weeks now. The longer you hold on to Anthony Davis, the less you will get in return. And now the Pelicans made a big stink about Anthony Davis being allowed to play, which is absurd. But it's absurd for a lot of different levels. 
We'll get to one of my biggest issues for why it's absurd. But think about this. The Pelicans have essentially told 29 other teams, he's not going to play for us at the start of next season. We want to trade him in the summer. So everybody knows this because they're not trying to play him, right? They don't want to play him anymore. So if I know you're going to trade him in the summer, why on earth would I give you my best offer? And they have, they have, the Pelicans have voluntarily de depressed Anthony Davis's value. They have lessened the value on Anthony Davis by their own pride and stupidity. I never believed that Jason Tatum would be offered from Boston, and I don't know why anyone does. In fact, there were reports that Tatum's name was never involved from Boston's side. The, the Pelicans essentially kept Anthony Davis due to a promise ring for all intents and purposes. The Celtics promised us that they'd give us a, a, a package that would be worth our while, so we're just going to wait. And that package is going to be Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown and a bunch of picks in the 20s. Or two second round picks from the Clippers, whichever one happens. Like, are you serious? And I'm not saying that the Lakers offer was great. But that's the problem. They rolled the dice. When you roll the dice, sometimes you get snake eyes. That's part of life. It was a gamble. And now they're gambling on getting a huge offer this summer. But let's say New York doesn't get the number one overall pick. I don't believe that they will. It's only a 14% chance that they will. Let's say they get the third overall pick. So John Murray. Or maybe Cam Reddish or someone like that. And Dennis Smith Jr. and Kevin Knox. And Alonzo Trier and whatever they whatever else they want. Right? That's not, that's not a great package. Let's say the Lakers honestly pull out. Because so many people thought that, you know what, at minimum... The Lakers offer would still be there in the summer. Well, now we know it's not because Zubik got traded. And the Lakers were offering Zubik. He, they can't offer him anymore. Let's say, the, and the Lakers have said, you know what, we're going to move on. Let's say the Lakers now move, set their sights on Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or Klay Thompson or Kawhi Leonard or Jimmy Butler. And they won't have the pieces or the money to then trade for Anthony Davis. No, it's a big if. I think the Lakers still will be in play. But it's not a guarantee. So let's say the Knicks don't get the number one overall pick. Let's play a hypothetical with me. And the, and the Lakers actually do pull out. You're then left with the Celtics. And if the Celtics know, well, we don't have to compete with the Lakers anymore. And we don't have to compete with Zion Williamson. There's no way Danny Ainge is going to give up Jason Tatum when he knows the Pelicans have no desire to play Anthony Davis anymore. They have told the entire league this. This is why this entire process has been, has been fumbled for on every turn. This organization is trash. I'm sorry if you're a Pelicans fan listening to me, but you know it. I'm a Knicks fan. I know my team has been trash. Don't get mad at Dell Demps. Dell Demps can't force himself to keep his job. Once it was shown that he was going to stay there, you knew that this was going to be a bad end, a end of res a result that was not going to be favorable for the Pelicans. And it cost him his job. 
Think about it. The Pelicans traded Chris Paul for essentially Eric Gordon, Al Farouk Aminu, and Austin Rivers. They traded Chris Paul for that. And they're probably going to end up trading Anthony Davis for Jalen Brown and God knows what else. That, that's not acceptable in any stretch of the imagination. Hell, let's also remember, they traded DeMarcus Cousins, or they traded for DeMarcus Cousins, and they gave up Buddy Hill and the number one overall pick. And Buddy Hill is turning, Buddy Hill is better than everything they got in return for Chris Paul, and probably will be better than anything they get in return for Anthony Davis. And they gave him away for a year of DeMarcus Cousins. You cannot make this stuff up. You can't. And we keep on giving sympathy to these leagues. Anthony Davis, I do not agree with how he went about this business, how he went about demanding his trade or voicing his displeasure and how he had his agent do all this stuff. I'm not a fan of that. He could have handled that better. He made his power play, though, and it didn't work. But that didn't, does not mean that the Pelicans should just bench him because that's an awful precedent to set. Because let's say we flip it. If a team decides to trade a top five player, and for whatever reason, you know, one of the players they get in return, they fail their physical, the trade gets voided for whatever reason. Are we then going to be okay with the player saying, you know what, I'm not going to play for this team anymore because the culture is bad or because they don't want me here? No. We expect that player to be a professional. So why are we now saying when a player is saying like, I want to play, I tried to make my power play. It did not work, but I want to play. Now people are saying that the team shouldn't allow the player to play. What sense does that make? From a practical one, we just talked about it. Now the entire league knows the Pelicans are going to move Anthony Davis this summer. We all know that they have already showed us their hand. But just from another, another perspective, from a league perspective, one of the best players in this league, you're not going to play because he doesn't want to be here? Get out of here. And if it's that bad, if Anthony Davis's desire to leave the Pelicans is truly that bad, pay the fine. Adam Silver is not saying that you absolutely cannot bench him for the rest of the season. He's saying it's going to cost you about $2 million to do so. I'm not getting, I'm not sorry for a billionaire owner having to pay two point some odd million dollars. So they don't, because they don't want to play the best player because they failed in seven years. No, I don't feel sorry for them at the slightest. And if you're reasonable or rational, you should, you wouldn't either. But so many people have a problem with how players are taking control of their future. I was listening to the Bill Simmons, Ryan Rosillo podcast this past weekend, and they were out there. You would think that they're plants from the league. Now it's a problem that players want to be free agents, that players want to leave bad organizations. How is that a problem? If I was Anthony Davis, I wouldn't want to play with the Pelicans either. The only reason they fired Dell Dips is because of his displeasure. That's an awful run organization. Rosillo ended up saying something like, 
half of the top 12 players in the league don't want to play where they're at or they're unhappy. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you come to that conclusion? Yes, there are Kyrie's who are unhappy and Kevin Durant's and Anthony Davis's and Kawhi Leonard's. But what about the LeBron's? LeBron left in free agency, but he played throughout his contract. He always played through his contract. In fact, people killed him for the decision because he didn't let the Cavaliers know that he was leaving beforehand. Like, what do y'all want? Anthony Davis tells the team he's not going to resign. You kill him. LeBron James leaves because he didn't tell them that he was going to leave earlier, and you kill him. Steph Curry is fine. Giannis, we haven't heard a peep from him. He seems to be enjoying himself in Milwaukee. James Harden is fine in Houston. Paul George is fine in Oklahoma City. Damian Lillard just came out and said he's fine in Portland. Russell Westbrook is fine in Oklahoma City. Yo, who are the players? You you gave me four of the top players. And Kawhi, Kawhi was unhappy in San Antonio because they misdiagnosed a huge injury. I'd be pissed off too. Like, what are we talking about? Honestly, what are we talking about? Joel Embiid is fine in Philadelphia. Rudy Gobert is fine in Utah. Who, who are these players who are so unhappy? You want to know the players who are unhappy? They're the players who play for awful teams or, in Kawhi's case, a team that misdiagnosed an injury. I'm sorry. That seems perfectly reasonable. Doesn't it? I think there's a larger discussion to be had, and I'm not going to have it now because this quarter is going a little bit long. But I do think there is a larger discussion to be had why so many members of the media seemingly dislike the players of the NBA. I'm not going to be reckless and just give you my initial thoughts on that. But I do think it's fascinating how so many of them just seemingly dislike players. And I don't know why. It doesn't seem that hard to understand why Anthony Davis is unhappy in New Orleans. I think reasonable people can understand that. The fact that so many people are up in arms and are making excuses the way we always do. Don't believe me? Look at the last two labor disagreements. Remember the smoothing of the cap? How much of a problem that was? It wasn't. It's just that we don't like to hold the organizations accountable. You want to win? Don't be stupid. It's really that simple. Because you listen to this podcast, I know you guys aren't stupid. But please, do me a favor. Head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave me a review, five-star ratings if you would like. I'd greatly appreciate it. But more importantly, leave a review. Let me, let your friends, and let the world know why you enjoy this podcast and why other people should listen to it. I greatly appreciate it, guys. Just a little bit of house cleaning at the end of the first quarter. But the show will continue, and we're going to take a quick pivot outside of the sporting world and into the entertainment music specifically for our second quarter this week. I reminisce, I reminisce. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes, yes. This is the second time I've done this segment on the show. But it's they reminisce over blank. Obviously, shout out to Pete Rock and CL Smooth, one of the more legendary songs of my childhood. But this week, I'm using this segment because musically, over the last week or so, obviously, the, the Grammys were like, what, two weeks ago, I guess? I don't really watch the Grammys, but a lot of people were talking about music. And on the heels of the Grammys, Drake re-released, re-remastered or whatever, the So Far Gone mixtape. In addition to that, Kush and OJ came out on Apple Music about a month ago or so. Currency and Wiz dropped, you know, the How Fly, and then they had the 2009 joint. And it got me thinking, man, because, you know, I remember listening, not so much to So Far Gone. I was late to Drake, but I remember listening to How Fly. I still listen to Currency to this day. And like kind of the run, both he and Wiz, to different degrees, obviously. But they've had a pretty significant run over the last decade. Obviously, Drake has killed the game. He has managed to duck and dodge and hurdle all types of obstacles that have been thrown his way. And he's the biggest artist, biggest rapper, biggest artist probably in the world right now. And I'm thinking to myself in, in this terms, like, man, these two guys of this new, these three guys, really, of this kind of new era, new generation, they've been on crazy runs. You could throw in Kendrick, you could throw in Cole, but obviously Drake, um, with the So Far Gone mixtape being 10 years removed, you're like, yo, he had a crazy run. Like, the run that he has had is amazing from an individual artist but then knowing me y'all know how i get down my mind just doesn't stick there it goes all over the place right and then i'm starting to remember you know the runs that i had the privilege to kind of live through not as someone on the outside looking in but like you know the people who really really love drake they're like in their mid-20s now mid to late 20s because Drake kind of exploded when they were in high school or a start or starting college, right? Through pivotal years of your life, those 17, 18 through like 22 years, at least for a young person's life, right? So I, while I'm not a biggest fan of Drake, I kind I could still understand why he's so important to a younger generation because he was the guy. And for me and people like my age, the guy was Jay. And I'm not the biggest Jay-Z fan, but as I've grown, I've grown in appreciation to what he, Dame, and Biggs have done. And what my point for this is, I'm reminiscing this week over not even a 10-year run. Think of from 1999 to 2004, 2005-ish, the run that Rockefeller Records as a label had. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that. And again, there are a lot of Jay stands out there. Shout out to y'all, man. You know, I'm not a Jay hater, but he's obviously one of the five greatest rappers of all time. And I may be, you know, conservative in that approach. But when you think of him as a businessman, as a, a label executive, as, as a face, man, we're not ever going to get another Rockefeller Records again ever 
I mean, you know, obviously the music industry has changed a great deal. I guess if you're if you're looking at the biggest labels or secondary labels, if you will, TDE, you know, they got a nice roster, right? Dreamville, shout out to Cole. He's making a lot of noise with his crew. And there are a lot of really um, talented individuals, you know, putting out and producing music. Doesn't mean that I have to like all of it, right? The, the hip hop specifically is a young man, young woman's game. But just think about that run from 99 to 04, 05, right? And forgive me if some of some of my years of these albums are a little bit off, but essentially in a five, maybe six year run, think of just the classics, just the classics that that label released. Forget the great albums, the really, really good. We'll get to that in a second. But just listen to the classics that came out of Rockefeller. Obviously, you had the blueprint. Obviously, you had the reason. You had college dropout. You had um, the 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 diplomats uh, diplomatic immunity number one. I mean, that's four right there. And I'm talking about like those classics, not like okay, these are really nah. Then you go down a step below and the really, really, really good albums, right? I don't consider the Black Album a classic, but a lot of y'all do. That's a really, really good album. Rock La Familia, really, really good album. The Reason, really, really good album. Philadelphia Freeway, really, really good album. Come Home With Me, really, really good album. You know what I'm saying? Like, these dudes, it was all of them. I mean, hell, the state, second state property, really, really good album. It was amazing. The run that those dudes were on was phenomenal. And I don't know if that ever. So, you know, again, I'm in my mid-30s now. I'm the old man on the block, kind of. You understand what I'm saying? So I see all these young people, you know, kids loving the Drake train. They talking about, oh, man, you know, OVO and, you know, I'm talking about and young money and all this other stuff, whatever, whatever. And live your lives, young kings and queens, man. But don't come at me because now I'm fully, you know, I have fully embraced kind of my, my uncle status. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Because we'll never see anything like what Rock did, Joe. And again, I'm not the biggest Jay fan. But think about the art, like just how different Kanye and Beanie Siegel are. You know, how different Cam and Memphis Bleak was and Freeway, and Jay, and like all of these dudes under the same imprint, under the same umbrella, and they were just putting out music nonstop. The soundtrack for many of our college years, late high school years, and early adulthood years. You know, we could go down the line. We could go down the line of reasons why Jay-Z may be the greatest rapper of all time, and no, I do not believe that he is. But if you're talking about most influential, most significant rapper, I don't even know who would be second. For real, no, like, no lie. Because whether we're talking about greatest and who's the best and your favorite, that's all subjective. And yes, I know Jay-Z did not do all of the Rockefeller, you know, he... he the, the Rockefeller imprint is not just Jay-Z's DNA, but damn if he wasn't a big part of it. 
And many of the great albums from 99 to 04, 05 come from him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which is nuts when you think about it. Which is nuts. And the best Rockefeller album of all time is The Blueprint. So while, you know, I'm not one of the older people who, who try to knock what the young kids are listening to or dismiss it or, you know, try to try to shame them for liking whatever it is the new wave or the new trends are. The one thing I'm going to do, like the, the one get off my yard, old man thing that I will stick by, and nothing touches that. Our era of hip-hop music will never be touched. I don't care. If you're 30, if you're in your 30s, maybe in your younger 40s, yo, tip of the hat right now, man, this is ours. It can't be touched. And specifically, while everybody's getting their Drake shots and, you know, celebrating the, the re-release of So Far Gone, or Cushion OJ, or, you know, I'm sure Cole is going to re-release uh, Friday Night Lights if he wants to, and Kendrick and TD and all these other super phenomenal artists. Man, tip of the cap to y'all. Y'all doing the damn thing. But understand, when it comes to runs, runs in music, runs in hip-hop, specifically in pop culture, you can't touch our run. And no run, even in our era, touches the 99-04-05 run by The Rock. Something that we... They used to say it in the real time. You'll never see anything like it again. Untouchable. All the stuff that they used they used to pop a lot of you know what. And for good reason. Because here we are. 15 years later. And it hasn't been touched since. Not just the amount of music. Not just the sales. Not just the influence. But the amount of quality music. Go back and listen to Late Registration right now. We ain't getting that Kanye ever again. We not. Go back and listen to Come Home With Me right now. We not getting that cam again. The, look, at, look at what Rockefeller birthed. Because of Rockefeller, we didn't got diplomats. Not Okay, let me rephrase that because I was a big time diplomat fan. I'm not giving Jay all of them credit for the dip set, right? Because Cam, Jimmy, Els, they they made that, right? But they had a launching pad, right? Come home with me and diplomatic immunity was a huge launching pad for them. And they got the ball and they ran with it. Kanye got the ball, he ran with it. State Prop got the ball, they ran with it to a degree. So shout out to Jay Damon Biggs, man. Because while everybody's falling over themselves, celebrating 10 years of so far gone. Let's think a little bit. Let's refire. Let's sharpen the focus and really, really give credit to guys who are pillars of this era of our culture. And although they broke up and it was a nasty split, man, they made a hell of they made a lot, a hell of a lot of great classic albums. <laughs> Alright, y'all, y'all heard the horn, y'all know what time it is. It means it's halftime this week. Again, it's been a while. I had last week off, but we're back here better than ever, ready to give not only you a great listening experience, but also to take and give some of your best advice around. That's right. This week, we're going back to the call center. 
Obviously, I was talking about Rockefeller Records. So, of course, you know what song is coming up next. We're going to go 1-900-HUSTLER. As I open up the hotline bling to answer some of the biggest questions to your favorite sports athletes and entertainers around. Take a listen. Yo, what's going on? This is the Quarterly Report Call Center, where we answer the toughest and hardest questions facing you at this moment. Caller number one, what's your name, where you're from, and what's your issue? Hey, what's going on, man? This is A.B. from Pittsburgh, but you can call me Mr. Big Chest. Anyway, I've been having some issues at my workplace, and I think it's time for me to move on, but it's not necessarily all in my hands, and I've ruffled a few feathers on my way out. What do you think is the best way for me to move on from my current work environment? All right, man. Thanks for the phone call. Number one, ain't nobody going to call you Mr. Big Chest, man, so... Cut that out, Joe. You lame as hell. And number two, AB, man, like, let's keep it real. You are making it worse. You are making your living conditions, your working environment much worse. Now, look, I get it. Some of your coworkers, especially Big Ben, are annoying as you know what. But the way this league is rigged, man, you always going to catch that heat. Plus, Big Ben has hardware. And you don't. You've never played in the Super Bowl. I don't even know if you played in the AFC Champion. Actually, you probably played in one. But the point still stands. And I've I've been a big advocate of this. Wide receivers don't. They don't move the needle that much, bro. And yes, you are, if not the best, the second best receiver in the game. But it doesn't matter. Y'all didn't make the playoffs this year, Slim. So you have to make sure you don't fall into the trap of smelling your own stuff. You know what I mean? You got to understand the way the game is rigged, you're going to come out looking crazy regardless. And you are only adding fuel to that fire because you are coming across like a fool right now, Joe. So whatever advice you are hearing from others, this would be my advice to you right now. Man to man, get your circle, your close circle. Talk this thing through. If you want to get out of Pittsburgh, I don't blame you. That whole that whole organization right now seems like it's rotten in the foundation. But you have played a part in that. Understand, no matter how nice you are, you're not going to get that long of a leash. So if you do get up out of Pittsburgh, make sure you choose wisely and stop with the antics, bro. No more, you know, putting your, your coaches locker room speech on FaceTime or Instagram or whatever else you may be doing, man. Leave that alone and let your play speak for you. And also, bro, do away with that Hulk Hogan beard mustache combination, man. You look like you look stupid. All right, we've got time for one more caller. Caller number two, thanks for holding. This is the Quarterly Report Call Center where we answer the toughest questions facing you at this moment. What's your name? Where are you from? And what is your question? Hey, what's going on? This is Cap by the Bay. You know, I took on the man and I won. Yet, I'm seeing some people being critical of me because I got the bag from the NFL and now they're questioning whether or not my passion for the movement is legit or not. How can I silence these haters up? Hey, Cap, man, let me first say I salute you with everything that you've done, bro, man. You are a testament 
of sticking to your guns, sticking to your integrity and your beliefs. So number one, let's get that out the way. I'm so happy, so proud of you. Number two, man, f them haters, Joe. <laughs> man, look, no one with any shred of integrity, no one who believes anything that you have been protesting since day one, believes that you are selling out or doing anything like that. You know what time it is, man. It's, we live in the age of mass confusion. People have been trying to spin what your stance, your, your protest, and what you stand for. They've been trying to spin it over and over and over again to no avail. You won. You won. You beat the NFL. Tom Brady didn't even beat the NFL, bro. But you did. What you won, you and Eric Reed run, won. And your settlement has nothing to do with your protest. And anyone who's even tried to pay attention to the message that you've been putting out, they know that. So look, man, enjoy, enjoy what you've earned. Enjoy what you've won and continue to do what you've been doing, right? What you've done is more than just a kneel. It's more than just an anthem. It's more than just a protest. You have put a struggle that many have been trying to talk about and push to the forefront. You did so, and you did so by raising awareness. The people who don't wanna see are the people who don't want you to win. And it's hard on them right here, man. Keep your foot on their necks, Cap, because we got your back, brother. All right, guys, that's been my time this week. Two questions down, two answers, two satisfied customers. We'll see you again at the Quarterly Report Call Center in a few weeks. You know, ever since last week when the verdict, I guess Friday, when the verdict came down, I've been seeing all these Actually, I haven't even seen a lot of people even insinuate that he is. It's a lot of people on the radio or online saying that they've seen people call Colin Kaepernick a sellout or they've been questioning his motives. Like, that's sick, Joe, man. I can't stand how Bama's operate like this. Anyone with any shred of integrity, like I said in halftime, anyone with just a, a, a molecule of common sense, can understand that people are trying to leverage his victory over the NFL and trying to place it to pre to present a conflict with the initial protest, right? The people who and y'all know y'all know the game I do here, man. If I if I respect you, I'll say your name. I may disagree with you, like Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo earlier in the show, but I respect them. Right. I don't necessarily have to like everything they do, but I can at least respect them. But the people who are trying to play this game regarding cap, y'all know who they are. And if you don't, you're lucky for it. And that's one of the reasons why I won't say their names. Right. But they've been playing this game ever since he started the protest questioning. Well, you know, what is he talking about? You know, first it was he wants to be a starter. And then we realized that, you know, he was cool being a backup. And then it was, he's just not good enough to be playing in the NFL. And then we realized Nathan Peterman and all these other Josh, Josh, like all these people who are just coming off the street and playing Mark Sanchez, the list goes on and on. And then it was, okay, well, you know what? People don't really like him and he's bad for business. And Nike was supposedly going to regret having him be the face of their, you know, their rollout this past year. And then Nike sales and stocks 
went all the way through the roof, right? So at every turn, the people who just don't want to face the reality, what he has succinctly presented to the world, to the masses, it's like, yo, there is an issue with the way we are policed with black and brown bodies. Like there's data out there to suggest it. Countless pages, you know, instead of like, I'd have more respect for people who disagree, not even disagree, but just like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable being confronted with racism. Just say that you feel me. Cause then I know what time it is with you. Right. But people keep on making excuses. Oh, he's not, what he's saying is not true. And he's not a good quarterback. And he should, the list goes on and on. And now it's like, okay, we're going to ignore everything that you've done. Everything that you said, even when you weren't in the league, all of the money, all of the countless things that you have done, right? Gone over and above what anyone in your shoes would have or has done. We're going to forget that. We're going to ignore all that. And now that you got money from the NFL, mind you, the money he got from the NFL is not because of his protest. The NFL blackballed him, right? And at this point, I mean, it's been clear. It's been obvious, okay? A judge before the settlement ruled that he had a case. Usually the NFL doesn't even get to a trial. But a, a judge said, nah, you got something. And they made it into a trial. And the NFL settled. When does the NFL ever settle? Ever. So it's clear they colluded and they blackballed him. He is getting money from the NFL, not because of his protest, but because they, they, they were illegal in their attempts to not allow him to play. That's what the money is for. The money has nothing to do with his protest. And if you had any integrity, if you've been keeping up with it, if you're so concerned with what he does with his money, you would have seen that he's been giving money. And it's not just the money, right? Anyone can write a check. What he is doing is he is investing time himself. That is the number one resource that he has been investing in addition to the money. So anybody, anytime I see it, anytime I hear it, man, I know what time it is when people start saying, oh, well, is he a seller? Is it Jay? all that? Stop it, Joe, because at every turn, those same people have been trying to knock him and what his message and his meaning has been. It has been clear as day, right? The grass has been cut now so you can see the snakes many times. They'll just jump out with a shirt that says, I'm a snake. Don't shoot them bail. They're telling you who they are. You feel me? That joint has annoyed me for this last week, just seeing the people who are doing it. And they try to present themselves like, oh, I'm not saying I disagree with them. Yes, you are. Shut up. Yes, you are. But, dog, this is celebration, baby. It's been a rough Black History Month. But Cap getting that bag. Hey, man, it's a win for all of us, all right? All right, guys, halftime is over. We've got two quarters down, two quarters left to finish the show up strong, and we're going to step into the squared circle with our third topic this week. You all know me, and you guys know how much I truly love boxing. And thus far, 
The sport seemingly is in amazing condition. I got to be honest, man. A few weeks ago, the AAF had its debut, and it was a tremendous start for the league, right? I'm not going to talk about whatever the financial issues that they may or may not have had last weekend, but those, those initial, the debut weekend, when the AAF debuted, it was a tremendous start. It actually beat out the NBA. I think the NBA ABC marquee showdown, it was Oklahoma City versus Houston. Saturday night, two very impressive teams highlighted by MVP candidates, big-time superstars, James Harden, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, right? Four of the biggest names in the league, two of the top three or four MVP candidates, if you will. And the AAF debut beat the NBA. And that is a tremendous feat, okay? We should not sell that short. And all week, the following weekend, the following week, all you heard was, man, the AAF beat the NBA. And again, you know, there is this weird mentality that, that exists, definitely online and on social media. But I think as a society, it's a larger point that I've been wrestling with, and I will have a, an entire quarter devoted to it in a, in a future show. But like this mob mentality in terms of like picking sides, right? So I'm an NBA fan and I saw so many NBA fans online annoyed with people celebrating the AAF. And I'm thinking to myself, why would anybody be upset at that? Right? That's a good thing. The AAF starting off with tremendous ratings doesn't mean that your favorite sport is bad. It doesn't mean that it's an attack on the NBA. No. There's so many things that exist now for a sports fan that we all should be happy. I don't particularly like baseball or golf, but it doesn't bother me when they do well. In fact, it's actually a good thing in my estimation because that means there are more channels, there'll be more sporting events, more networks are actually going to be interested in airing said sporting events. If you work in the field, there are more jobs. This is just a good thing. It just means that sports are healthy. So I was a little caught off guard by, A, the number of NBA fans who somehow reacted defensively to the AAF's initial uh, ratings and the number of people who just celebrated the AAF as if it was an attack on the NBA. Again, both can exist. Both will exist. The NBA and the AAF or the XFL or even the NFL, they're not competitors. There are two separate entities for sports fans in this country and abroad to enjoy. But as a boxing fan, and this is where we're going to tie in the sweet science, I was annoyed. I was bothered. Because the AAF did beat the NBA, and that was huge. That was tremendous. Not just because it was an upstart league, but because it drew a rating. It drew a good rating on a Saturday night. No one within, no one was beating the drum that the AAF is dead, that football is dead, that you know football leagues outside of the NFL can't exist, and that uh, it's a it's a dumb idea. I bring all this up because the week prior, Keith Thurman fought Josecito Lopez on the second broadcast televised broadcast of PBC on Fox.
And that fight drew a 2.7. Significantly better than the AAF, significantly better than the NBA Saturday Showcase. The fight itself, the main event, top peaked at a three on a Saturday night. Yet I saw no one online or on radio or on television talk about how a great night and a great event it was for the sport of boxing. Because every time I hear anyone talk about boxing, all I hear is how the sport is dead and how the UFC and mixed martial arts have somehow taken over in terms of combat sports. Now, it is important for me to say I, again, I don't view boxing in the UFC or Bellator or anything else like that as competitors. They exist in the same realm. In fact, there have been several studies to suggest that boxing fans are not the same type of fans as MMA fans, right? That goes to demographics, uh, that goes to a racial divide, an age divide, a, a socioeconomic divide. We can get into that at another time. But the fact is, if you were to do a Venn diagram, the overlap is very small between the two combat sports. But I am bringing this comparison up because time after time, you keep hearing, we keep hearing how the UFC has somehow taken, stifling away boxing's fan base, and that's not true. Whether you look at television ratings, whether you look at pay-per-view buys, whether you look at purses, whether you look at whether you look at the networks and what they spend on each event, boxing is is surpassed the UFC. Not, I don't even want to say surpassed. It is significantly higher than the UFC at every mile, at every inch. Yes, the UFC has Conor McGregor, who is currently the biggest a combat athlete that is out professional right now, right? Because Floyd Mayweather has retired, quote unquote, retired. But he is the biggest fighter in either sport. That being said, the drop-off between Conor McGregor and whomever would be number two is significant. So I'm sitting here when I'm watching all of these, all of this praise for the AAF, and I'm asking myself, man, where was this when it came to the PBC just a week earlier? Where was this kind of adulation? Where was this celebration of a sport where, unfortunately, far too often, people who are ignorant to the sport and its popularity get on whatever platform they have and preach about how the sport is dying? Like, if if it's a huge thing that the AAF beat the NBA on a Saturday night, which, again, I think it was, how can we then turn a blind eye to a fight card that, got a, that peaked at a three that also beat the NBA and would beat any number that the AAF would probably ever do? How, how can both of those things exist? It's one of the biggest things I have as a boxing fan. And if you listen to this podcast, as I've talked to many of you all via email or tweets, many of you all are boxing fans as well. And I know it has to annoy you as well. Because for whatever reason, the sport, despite its popularity, hell, 
ESPN spent significant amounts of money to air top rank boxing. Fox spent significant amount of money to air to purchase the PBC deal. Showtime, etc., etc. All of these networks spend significant, I mean, just large amounts of money to broadcast, yet they don't ever, I don't know, I don't want to say prop, but they don't ever speak life to it. And it's so many people locally who have radio shows or television shows just pretend as if it doesn't exist. And that, that is beyond annoying. We've had a very strong start to 2019. And yet you have to search tirelessly at times to find any type of podcast to intelligently speak on the sport. How is that possible? How is that the reality in 2019? I have no idea how we got here. And man, there is a lot of blame to go around. I mean, the sport, though I love it, though I love boxing, though boxing is my second favorite sport by a wide margin, it does not come without its flaws. We're seeing it play out in real time with the heavyweight division. We all know Anthony Joshua, one of the two biggest fighters in the world in terms of popularity, is a Dazon fighter. Deontay Wilder has long since been a PPC Showtime fighter. And now Tyson Fury just inked a deal with top-ranked ESPN. So not only do we have an issue with, I guess, informing or the information that exists in the media when it comes to the sport. Now we have a larger issue. We we were all under the 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 idea that the Cold World War in boxing was over. Like it had thawed out and you would have cross promotions, fighters, and all types of things. And now in the glamour weight class, right? With three, not one, not two, but three charismatic, fun, engaging, entertaining heavyweight fighters. We are now looking at a at the potential of the three not fighting each other anymore. I mean, how is this? So every time I want larger networks and I want radio hosts and other people to talk about the sport that I love, the sport does something to make itself look like a fool. Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua should have fought a long time ago. There is no reason that Deontay Wilder should not be fighting Tyson Fury tomorrow or this upcoming Saturday or next Saturday. Like that fight should absolutely be happening in the near future, but it won't. You know, th there's only so much I can do in terms of trying to talk to people and engage others and sports fans to, to take up the sport. I mean, the sport, again, is healthy. It's extremely healthy. But when all eyes turn to it, they do something like this. I want you guys to hit me up on Twitter, man, at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. All my boxing fans, man. And I really want to know, what. how do you see the future of the sport? Because, yes, I believe it's extremely healthy right now. And the ratings, despite the fact that no one will talk about them, the ratings echo my sentiment. 
But I don't know how long, how much longer this can exist. Because at every glamour weight class, welterweight, light heavyweight, cruiserweight, heavyweight, featherweight, it doesn't matter. We're not getting the fights that not only, not only that we deserve, I don't even want to say that we deserve, but the fights that make sense. I've long since thought that Errol Spence will not fight Terrence Crawford, not because either fighter is scared, but because it, they're on compete there with two different competing promotions and the money that it would generate is hard when you got two different egos, not with the fighters, but with the promoters to sit down and try to negotiate. I think it's next to impossible. And now I'm becoming less and less confident that we ever see an AJ Wilder fight. And the fact that Tyson Fury hit Look, man, I know a lot of Wilder fans are out there. Slim, he lost that fight. And if you were going to kill AJ for not fighting Wilder, you got to keep that same energy with Wilder, man, because there is no way, there is no way that that rematch shouldn't have been scheduled immediately following that fight. Plain as day. And if Deontay Wilder is not going to fight Tyson Fury, he better be fighting AJ. And the fact that we're eyeing a scenario where he's not fighting either. Come on, man. It's bad for the sport. Two steps forward, three steps back. Again, guys, man, make sure you hit me up on Twitter. I want to talk to my boxing heads about this, man, because there's a lot of frustration for me regarding the sport. There's a lot of frustration to go around, but I need to talk to somebody about it because I'm not hearing it on my radio dial. I'm not hearing it on my television station. So I'm giving, I'm opening up the platform, man. Talk to me. How do you guys feel about the state of boxing? Not just now in terms of the ratings that they're getting because the ratings are very good. But the future of the sport, is this sustainable? Because, man, I have my doubts. All right, guys, we are three quarters down. That means there is one final quarter left before we complete the show. So without further ado, let's get it cracking. Fourth quarter. Living right outside of Washington, D.C., you know, every morning or thereabout during the NBA season, I wake up to countless texts from family or close friends. I go on to Twitter and see on the timeline countless hashtags saying this one phrase. Turn on the radio and there are not many people who can intelligently talk about the NBA, specifically the Washington Wizards in the D.C. area. But the one man, Danny Ruye, shout out to him who does, has this running, I don't even want to call it a shtick because he truly is a Wizards fan. He has this ongoing kind of crusade to fire Ernie Grunfeld, to get Ernie Grunfeld out of D.C. And it's something that has now consumed the Wizards fans. And rightfully so. In the first quarter, I talked about Dell Demps and how, how it was clear that Dale Demps should have lost his job a long time ago. And, and this is with Dale Demps playing in a tougher conference. This is also with Dale Demps playing with an, or having an elite player, two elite-level players under his franchise. Not fringe. Maybe if you squint hard enough, they may make third-team All-NBA. They'll fight for third-team All-NBA, or they'll be an all-star reserve. I'm talking about, without question, unequivocally, 
one of the absolute handful best players, game changers, different makers. Ernie Grunfeld has never had that. Ernie Grunfeld, under his tenure in D.C., has never won 50 games. There is a, I mean, just an embarrassment. An embarrassment. Time after time after time of disastrous decisions. And I'm starting to question where the outrage is. Not from the fans. The fans have been clear. Time and time again, the fans have been blocked. They have been muted. They have been, you know, almost dismissed. Locally, it's a joke. And nationally, even respected NBA reporters. I think I mentioned this maybe a few months back. I was, I couldn't believe it. I was amazed. Zach Lowe, one of the more respected NBA writers that we have nationally, actually put on the cake for Ernie Grunfeld, saying that the only two awful decisions, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the basic point was he's made a lot of bad decisions that made sense at the time that you could explain away, which is just false. But he said there were really only two moves that Ernie Grunfeld made that were clearly disastrous. And those were drafting Jan Vesely, and that was the Jan Mahimi contract. And I would just ask, trading a top five pick for Randy Foy and Mike Miller didn't make the list? And then Randy Foy and Mike Miller not playing the very next season? Where did that go? Like, there isn't any general manager who trades a top five pick without getting something great. You don't trade a top five pick for two role players. Now, forget the fact that Steph Curry and DeMar DeRozan and all these other players were then selected with those picks. That's beside the point. Who just trades an unprotected pick? Who just trades a top? When you have a top five lottery pick, who trades that? And this has gone not to that degree, but just being so indifferent about first round picks and then second round picks. And this is the issue that really bothers me. The people, again, the members of the media here locally will carry the water for Ernie and the franchise. When it's obvious, it's a mistake. I can't tell you the number of times I have back and forth with people, people who I respect and trust who told me, oh, well, you know, you can trade a first round pick because it's not like they're going to draft anyone well with it. I'm sorry. That's admitting that your general manager is incompetent. Trade a first round pick for someone who will be making more money than a rookie because you have zero faith that your GM can find someone worth drafting. There were so many people who told I was I felt like I was on an island. When I said at the time, this isn't revisionist history. The Wizards were dumb for trading a first round pick for Markeith Morris. It made no sense. Oh, well, you know, Markeith Morris is this and more. You're not going to be able to draft anything. And Phoenix only did this. And da, 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 da. it was all these things. And now fast forward three and a half years later or three years later. They had to move a second round pick just to move them. 
Don't get me started on the second round picks. They traded a second round pick for Trey Burke. They traded a second round pick for Tim Frazier. I mean, just, they traded a second round pick, again, like I said, to trade Markeith Morris, someone that they traded a first round pick for. Markeith Morris was never good enough to get a first round pick value unless the Wizards were in Bizarro land and they were legit championship contenders, which they never have been. They traded a first round pick to get off of Andrew Nicholson's contract. Andrew Nicholson's contract was a disaster, but it wasn't that expensive. They could have ate that. They could have stretched it. They could have done a lot of things. What they did was reactionary. They had a bad contract that they literally, Ernie Grunfeld, just signed. They attached the first round pick to dump Andrew Nicholson, got Bogdanovich into town, and then let him walk in the upcoming offseason. And that pick turned out to be Jared Allen. And again, don't, don't worry about who the pick turned out to be. The fact is, you gave away a shot at getting someone. Maybe Jared Allen, maybe someone better. But the point is, maybe someone worse. But the point is, they just treat first-round picks like pawns. And that's how you waste someone who could have been a game-changer in John Wall. You waste his years away. Imagine if you will, and, I've, and I've, I've talked about this, 2016 was kind of like the pinnacle of Wizards basketball, which is unfortunate. It truly is. They go to game seven in the second round. They lose to a bad Boston Celtics team. This is important. That same Boston Celtics team would have lost in the first round to the Chicago Bulls. The eight-seeded Chicago Bulls had Rajon Rondo not hurt himself. Rondo was the best player in that series, and they won the first two games in Boston heading home to Chicago, and they they were on their way. I don't know if they would have swept them, but they were on their way to beat them. That Celtics team was flawed. I've said this before. They were led by Isaiah Thomas. After that season, he then gets traded twice. Jay Crowder was traded twice. Avery Bradley was traded twice. Those were the key, key players. Kelly Olenek is a reserve in Miami. These are the this this was the team. And yes, Al Horford was there. Al Horford obviously is a very good basketball player. But the fact remains the same. There's no reason why this Wizards team should have lost to that Celtics team. There just isn't. But what did then Ernie Grunfeld do? That team that disappointed, that team that underachieved. He just gave everyone raises. John started making more money. Otto started making more money. Brad just started, you know, the new the 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 brand new contract that he just signed the previous offseason. So everybody starts on that team essentially. Just started making more money. And the idea was that okay, we lost to an inferior team, we're going to be better the next year and then what happened? John misses half the season, they lose in the first round to the Raptors as an AC and then the following year this upcoming season what happens? John gets hurt again, he misses the majority of the season. They're fighting for their lives to be an eight seed. If they get an eight seed, they're going to get mopped by Milwaukee. We all know this. And now we're faced with the same exact dilemma. We are eyeing the exact same thing because the Wizards just let go of Otto. They didn't get any picks back. 
They didn't get any young players who are who still have team controlled con years on their contract. Nope. They got Bobby Portis, who's about to be a restricted free agent. They got Jabari Parker, who I'm assuming the team with the they got Jabari. They will opt out of this $20 million contract. I get it. If they do decide to bring him back, number one, that would be a foolish move. But number two, it would be a sign that he hadn't lived up to his contract. So John starts his super match next season, so he's getting paid more. Thomas Bryant is a restricted free agent. If they bring him back, he surely is going to get more. Thomas Sadoransky is a restricted free agent. So if they bring him back, he surely is going to get paid more. You see what I'm saying? The same thing that happened in 2016 where I am right now, 2019, bringing the game back despite a disappointing season, but at a higher price. This isn't difficult. I'm not losing anybody in the numbers. I'm not talking advanced statistics and all types of, you know, analytics. I'm not doing it. This is just basic level. Ernie Grunfeld has failed at every turn. Even worse, more so than Dale Dimps. And so many people, so many members of the, the media in D.C., want, and, and many of the fans, to be fair, want to blame John Wall for the Supermax contract. I've heard it on the radio so much. And again, this is one of the reasons why living in D.C., one of the most diverse cities in the nation, a city where anybody will tell you loves basketball, they don't have a single voice who understands basketball, professional basketball. Because every time I turn on the dial, oh, well, the next CBA, they got to do away with the Supermax. No, you don't. You've got to do away with people who don't know what they're doing when it comes to offering Supermax. This is not John Wall's fault. I'm sick of that. Let's kill it. I'm a Knicks fan. Allen Houston. When the, the amnesty clause is called the Allen Houston clause because common sense told everyone during that first NBA lockout. Or that first, I'm not, not the first lockout, but the first provision in the amnesty clause, that first CBA following the lockout. Everyone just assumed that the Knicks were going to use it on Allen Houston. And of course, the Knicks did not. I'm not mad at Carmelo Anthony for the contracts that he was given. Salute to you, King. The Knicks were dumb. We are dumb. We're a dumb franchise. I'm not mad at the contract Amari Stoudemire got. He shouldn't have got it. But why am I going to get mad at that man for cashing a check that he should have never been offered in the first place? Hold the people accountable. John Wall did not force Ernie Gunfeld to give him that contract. And once we, once we accept that, this idea that Oh, the team had to do it. The team never has to do anything. The team never has to do anything. The league has been dummy proof to help the owners at every single term. Every decision, every move, every new rule and guideline is helped. It's been presented to help assist the owners. The fact that they have no idea what to do is on them. And that's why to circle back to the beginning of this quarter, I'm done with the Ernie Grunfeld insults. I'm done with the hashtag fire Ernie. I'm done complaining about Ernie. Ernie has showed us who he is. 
I, if you got a girlfriend and everybody knows she cheating on you, I, bro, I'm sorry. I'm not giving you any, I'm not shooting you any sympathy if you know your girl is cheating on you. Or if your man is stealing your money. If you got, a, if you, ladies, if you got a man out there and you know he's a thief or he's cheating on you, you can't get so much sympathy because you are allowing it to continue. How many times must Ted Leonsis block fans, his own constituents, who complain about Ernie Grunfeld's tenure? How many times must fans call up to radio stations and say, yo, Ernie Grunfeld is art trash? So many, so, so much so that the host have to prefix any type of wizard's discussions that, yes, we know Ernie. We know Ernie is bad, but no, there is no but. Everything wrong with this organization circles back to Ernie Grunfeld. And the only person who controls whether or not Ernie Grunfeld continues to keep his job is whom? Ted Leonsis. So from now on, I'm done sending shots at Ernie. Because now I'm aiming at the top. I'm a Knicks fan. I know firsthand what bad ownership looks like. And to be honest, if James Dolan is number one on the worst owners in the NBA, guess who's number two? Because there is no other way. There is no other way to make this make sense other than to say what's clearly obvious. Ted Leonsis has no idea how to run an NBA team. That's where I'm at now. And this is the funny thing, right? Going back to the radio in D.C. The vast majority of not just the radio hosts, not just the program directors, not just the people on television or in print, the vast majority of the people with a prominent place in terms of the media in this city, one of the more diverse cities in the nation, are more hockey fans than they are basketball fans. I think that's clear. So Ted winning the cup for the Caps has provided him with an amazing shield. Because you're not going to rip Ted Leonsis for being a bad owner because he's the one owner who brought us a championship to D.C. Both things can exist. They're not mutually exclusive. Hell, the, the New York Rangers, they haven't won a cup, but they've done well quite well during Dolan's run. That then doesn't mean that you can't be critical of the Knicks because you wouldn't be worth you wouldn't be worth your weight if you were a basketball reporter or someone who covers basketball professional basketball on any level if you weren't critical. Yet why is it that no one criticizes Ted Leonsis? When we ask people to fire Ernie, who are we asking? We're not asking Scott Brooks. You know, who are we asking? We're asking, we're not asking John Wall to fire Ernie Grunfeld. Bradley Bill has already, already went up to that man's face and said that he has a problem with him. Yet Leonsis continues to re-sign and extend Leon, uh, Grunfeld in secrecy. No one knows the details of his contract, whether it's years or money. And we never know. That lets you know that he knows he's making a bad decision. 
If I make an amazing hire, I'm going to showcase everyone because I would be proud of my hire. The fact that no one knows, we never know when he's extended. It always comes with the cloud of secrecy. We know what time it is. He's ashamed, but he has no comp. He's not competent at running an NBA organization. I'm speaking of Leontis right now. And here's the real nasty part about this whole thing. My former employer. They are partly owned by Leontis in Monumental Network, Sports Network, the, the, out, the in, outprint. So there are people who are covering the Wizards who can't properly cover the Wizards because they can't speak critically of a partner, if you will. And that's gross. So everybody ends up talking in circles. The fans, the fans, the real true fans in D.C. understand what's going on. And I'm not talking about people who just blindly love their team and always think the positive is going to happen. I'm talking about people who who truly have an understanding and appreciation of their team and where they are, okay? Everyone sees it. We had people, look, I'm going to be honest, there have been people who've been guests on this show that I know I can't have them back on now. Because if they come on, they're going to do the same propaganda. They're going to carry the water for Ernie, for this organization, and for Ted. And that's done, man. It's over for that. There's no way you can look at this organization and how it's been run since Leontes took over and think, yeah, they are a well-run basketball team because they're not. They're not. This past trade deadline, they have all these players on expiring contracts, some of whom actually could help a championship contender. Did they move Sadaransky? No. Did they move Thomas Bryant? No. Did they move um, Jeff Green, Trevor Ariza? They didn't move any of them. They dumped Otto Porter, and they didn't improve their team for next season. They dumped a good player for a quote-unquote salary dump, yet they don't have any salary space. They did all of that to get below a luxury tax line. Tax line. So ask yourself this question. How committed do you or how confident are you that Leontes will open up his wallet next season and not just spend money to resign his own players? They do own their bird rights, but spend money before resigning their own players to bring competent players on board because they don't have enough money for a max contract, but they could spend 17 million dollars or so on a second tier or a very good player who's just not an elite level player and then resign all of their restricted free agents. How many of you all feel confident that that's going to happen? Everyone's hands should still be down. You know what's going to happen. He's going to bring some veteran minimum guys in, and he's going to re-sign, probably overpay their own restricted free agents. And they'll be stuck again in the same constant cycle. And because no one on the radio has any idea about the NBA, and all the people who write in this town seemingly, who do know something about the NBA, probably either write for a network that is partly owned by Leontes or just flat out scared to be critical of them. 
or just indifferent. Either way, there's no pressure. It can't just keep being from the fans and the blogs and the podcast. It can't. That's not going to move anything. At some point, somebody got to grow some, man, and be like, yo, I'm done aiming at Ernie. Ernie is the symptom of the problem. He's not the main reason why the problem exists. Because Ernie, that's easy. Ernie should have been lost his job. No, and I'm not saying this with any malicious intent, but he he does not deserve to be an NBA general manager. Just like Dale Demps did not deserve to be an NBA general manager. He has shown you time and time again, both of them, that they do not know how to run an NBA organization. But just like Gail Benson has also shown us, Ted Leonsis has shown us, they don't know what the hell they're doing in terms of running, owning an NBA franchise. And because I got cousins and I got home friends, homeboys and homegirls and neighbors who love the Wizards, love the Wizards, but they're done calling in or listening to the radio because the radio doesn't know what they're talking about. The radio still, I'm listening to the radio the other day. They talk about we'll have money for possibly a max contract. No, you won't. There are people writing for my former employee, employer, excuse me, right now, talking about, well, we think Dwight Howard is going to opt out of his $5 million contract. And if you do that, and then this, and then that, they may have a max contract contract spot no they won't number one and number two dwight howard's not opting out of five and a half million dollars coming off of back surgery what are you like this is what i'm saying if you are a wizards fan in this area man my condolences because it's not that john wall is a bad player or a bad guy or bradley bill despite the fact that i may not think as highly as many of you all do he's a good kid man good guy Someone that you can cheer for and is playing his behind off. There are good pieces here. But leadership has failed you all at every turn. And most NBA cities would have the comfort of being like, yo, at least the paper, at least the radio show host, at least the television networks will hold the owner and the general manager accountable. But in D.C., Ted Leontes has made it so that there is no one for checks and balances with him. Because the people who have the microphones don't care about the NBA in this city and the people with the pens and the keyboards who do, they're in his pockets. So in many ways, he's he's a genius. Unfortunately for Wizards fans and people who love the NBA in D.C., His genius doesn't head on over to the hardwood. All right, guys, that's my time this week. Remember, if you love the show, if you have any questions about the show, if you disagree with me on Del Demps, the NBA, boxing, or Ted Leonsis and the Washington Wizards, make sure you email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com, or tweet at me at quarterly show. Again, we spell quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. I'm on that on Twitter. Make sure you hit me up. I'll respond to your tweets, your questions, the whole nine. And if you do me a little favor, head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. 
leave a review, man. Let me, let your friends, let the world know why you enjoy the quarterly report so much, man. Thank you guys so much for rocking with the show. We've been back after a week break, but guess what, man? We're back next week as well, man. No more breaks for the foreseeable future. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the show. I enjoy spending this hour plus with you all, and I'll see you back here next week on the Quarterly Report.